everyone, and welcome back to another episode of In Our 1990s, a show where your two hosts are ranking all of the alternative records of the 1990s. And, uh, boy, I don't have an intro this week. Adrian, what do you have? Uh, exhaustion. I, 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 I did international book clubs, and I am tired. Oh yeah, you had to be up at like four in the morning to talk to Australians or something. Well, luckily, uh, my friend in Australia, she started it at 1 a.m. our time, but I didn't get to bed until almost 4 a.m. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I guess I should have introduced us. I'm I'm your host, Natalie, as always, and uh, that that the book club boy over there is Hadrian. <laughs> so. And uh, we're just going to get right into it this week. Um because I think we're going to probably talk a lot about these two albums. Yeah, I don't have as much to say about yours, but I have some things, positive things to say. Yeah, so uh, we're going to kick it off this week with my selection, which for this week is the 1996 album by Joy Electric called We Are The Music Makers. Um, this is actually their second record as Joy Electric. Um, the first was Melody, which is kind of like a weird half-step between... So Joy Electric is basically Ronnie Martin. Uh, he credits other people as band members from time to time, but I don't think any of them ever actually did any of the music. I think I think he does take like consulting notes when he's trying to make sounds work. And there, there was one point when there was another guy, and then and then Ronnie Martin's wife were both like in pictures of joy electric and i since then it's uh, like it's come out that his wife did absolutely nothing and he would just put her in pictures and say she was a member and maybe the other guy to, who knows maybe he just wanted to have the band aesthetic you know yeah i don't know so anyway but before he was joy electric um he and his brother jason martin who is the guy from starflyer 59 if you've heard of that band oh nice um were a, a group called Dance House Children who were basically it, it sounded a little like Joy Electric but there were some guitars because Jason Martin's a guitarist and um it was very techno like very early 90s like techno and house music it, it wasn't the all analog all the time sound that that Joy Electric does they even sampled uh Kiss Them For Me by Susie and the Banshees on one of their songs, so... It's a good fucking song. Yeah, so anyway, Melody was like a half-step between Dance House Children and Joy Electric, so I, I, I think we should circle back to it later, because it's not, like, hugely important to the Joy Electric sound. Um, I mean, it is, but not... It's not full-on what Joy Electric is known as today. Um, so We Are The Music Makers, though, came out in 1996, and it was, the, like I said, the second album. And um, it is... Boy, is it an aesthetic. It Very much, <laughs> yes. So between um, Melody and... So, so on Melody, uh, on Dance House Children, it was kind of anything goes. Like, they used whatever technology they wanted on melody ronnie martin started moving more towards using and relying on analog synths and we are the music makers was his first album where he started to explore what he called an aesthetic of like musical purity where he would use one analog synthesizer and program every sound on the album himself from that one synthesizer and halfway through the recording of We Are The Music Makers, his equipment failed and he lost everything he had done up to that point. Damn. 
and had to start the album all over. Um, but in starting it over, he decided that he was going to take a more um, Arthurian and Tolkien-esque aesthetic. Oh, lordy, did he. So nobody knows what the pre-equipment failure stuff sounded like, um, or if it was these same songs and just he just redid the same songs. It sounds like he changed them pretty pretty heavily because it is i mean if you've ever like worked on something and lost it on a computer you like you know how how hard it is to just repeat exactly what you did before like it, it's just draining um so yeah so what what it turned out then is that that we are the music makers became this album just full of fairy tale inspired lyrics and i don't think it's like blatantly lord of the rings it, i mean obviously there's an inspiration there but like he's way more of like a british history nerd like, yeah it, i think fairy tale is the the most accurate way to describe this i mean he sings a lot about you know kings and castles so i can see where the arthurian legend stuff comes in but if you watch the video for the first single burgundy years he is the king of Candyland in that video and so uh yeah don't don't uh he's much more whimsical than just straight up king arthur well i think the reason that i think that it's it's way more just like having a medieval aesthetic is like the harvestry of ghosts uh christendom on white horses pilgrimage lo i am with you always the 100 knighthood may all all saints the road to monarchy like it's very much like I want to be a night boy. Yeah. Let me let me read some of these lyrics because oh, I, no. I wanted to make a point of reading because I actually think the lyrics on this album are good. Like I am going to defend them. But just so you know what we're working with here. So this is from uh, Christendom on White Horses. Hitherto great lamentations consume us. Garland feigning on the crowns of gnomes peril. Heralders don hooves in homage and brave tales. Saints rue the black sacrament final and solemn. Um, from Pilgrimage, Lo, I Am With You Always, uh, Knighthood Sworn Upon the Anther Lawn, Summon the Prophets, Woodland Whimsy Broods and Buds, Lands in the Flight, Lands in Flight the Form of the Fortress, and with a sudden wisp, the maiden keys unlocked, the writing of the Book of Revelations Born, Fables or Notions. I liked those lyrics quite a bit. Uh, it's it's a little overwrought for me, but like... It is, but it's overwrought in a... Okay, so here's why I like it. So we mentioned this before, and you may already know... We mentioned this last week. You might already know it. Joy Electric was a Christian band. They were on Tooth and Nail, the, the Christian alternative label of the 90s. Um, and they are obviously... Like, that's not worship music, you know? No. that's That's not like... That's not music that you stand up in church and wave your arms back and forth to and get hypnotized. And, and Ronnie Martin is, fa- is like like made an entire album around this concept of just like why do Christians get all the bad music? Yeah, that is a, that is a later Joy Electric song title. Why do Christians have all the bad music? Yeah, and and I think and I agree with that. You can have you know godly music or music from a Christian pers- perspective, which is where I feel his medieval like appeal is is like where they all of Christendom and that kind of thing is like very like upholding the church going on a crusade and it's a very naive worldview because if you start scratching the veneer of that particular fantasy Mm -hmm. you get into some horrible shit I highly recommend a book called uh not so distant mirror 
you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, and and to read off a few more lyrics here, like the song, um, uh, "The Road to Monarchy," for example, yes. is it is a pro-monarchy song, and obviously. He's thinking of Jesus as the monarch. So, you know, in in the sense of like, boy, it would be great if there were one person who made all the decisions as long as that person were perfect and, and good in every way. Um, that You know, that's not irrational. It's just not ever going to actually happen. Well, it's irrational. Well, no, it's not irrational to say, boy, it would be great if someone who had perfect decision making skills made all the decisions. It's just that no such person exists. <laughs> It's, uh, I, I was poking a bear there. I, I'm sorry. I taught logic. Let me let me have this one. I'm I'm pulling rank. Anyway, merry days were once beloved by peasants for the sake of folly. My heart's in reverie for days spent gathering springs of green. And how often I would dream. I think how often I would dream. I think that's supposed to be of dragons, love, honor, and kings. Our love carries us down the road to monarchy. Our doom wearies us down the road to monarchy. Songs of tragedy abound. Let me give you a hot fucking tip. So medieval peasants didn't really, you know, eat a lot of vegetables. And uh, so that's a thing. And none of that sounds good. But this is me being a, an asshole Satanist listening to a Christian band. Well, yeah, like, and in real life, I'm as anti-monarch as you can be. I'm just saying that, you know, given positing the existence of a perfect decision maker, then yes, monarchy is, is rational. But in the real world, it's, you know, up there in the worst systems of government. Um, so so it's hard to talk about what Joy Electric sounds like, I think, because they don't really sound like. So I would say that, like. The earliest OMD is an obvious influence. Oh, very much so. And the earliest Thomas Dolby is an obvious influence. D Dolby had more texture than Ronnie has ever had. Well, and yeah, and again, because he didn't just use one analog synthesizer yeah. per album, you yeah. know. And that's that's really my biggest critique of uh, Joy Electric is just I wish sometimes he he wasn't such a purist. I admire that he is, but sometimes he could really use a richer sound to convey because there's a I forget which song it is on the, on this album that just has a real like Halloween funhouse like is it Old Castle Madrigal yes like that it's just it's very because it, that's it, kind of the gothiest song but it album. really distracts from the song itself because it's just it sounds so much like a, a video game that's supposed to be spooky yeah um so this is Ronnie Martin's least favorite album um, I, I, I thought he had said that Christian Songs was his least favorite. I think he said he he said other things about Christian Songs that I'll try to track down because there used to be a great, great official Joy Electric website that was full of I mean, it was like almost Momus level of like Ronnie Martin talking about his his albums, um, which is now gone and it's just a forum, which sucks. Um but yeah, he uh, he doesn't like this album. He and it's for a good reason, you know. He said that because he lost everything and had to redo it, he just felt like it just became a chore, mm -hmm. and that he didn't write good enough songs. He was so focused on between having to learn how to program an analog synth so extensively, which is a really fucking hard thing to do because they're very archaic instruments, like. 
if, if you've never sat down with an analog synth and tried to just play it, like basically nothing happens. <laughs> like you mm-hmm. have to sit there and program it for a while before it will sound like anything. I mean, like to the point that you're, you know, tuning it like you would tune a guitar. Well, that's why I love listening to Wendy Carlos talking about whenever when she was doing Switched on Bach, um, because there are a lot of recordings of her talking about how they got the colors and textures that they needed. And Ronnie is not on her level when it comes to that, because she literally spent decades of her life defining what color and texture is on an analog synth. And he was coming around doing similar things, but not to the same exacting standard, because it's a very, if you ever look at pictures of what Wendy Carlos was doing, like it's a massive nest of cables and equipment that he didn't have access to. Right. Well, she was working on the earliest analog synthesizers, which were like a mainframe computer. Like it was a giant wall sized bank of patches and, and knobs you know, the equipment Ronnie's working with is by that time, you know, mode was out there making, you know, mini modes and yeah. condensing all that shit down into a thing that you can like carry around with you. And arguably has less color and texture than the big like mainframe sized ones. And that's, that's not that's not dissing his music. And I think it's and that's why I, I aesthetically very much appreciate Joy Electric. And this is like my most positive thing is that he's carrying through that kind of just determined experimentation he's just not doing it with you know um like genius level understanding of composition theory exactly yeah and and that's fine he's making something that sounds his own and vastly unique compared to other people using the same equipment just like wendy carlos was doing it's just wendy had so much more knowledge of music's function than he does and and so, yeah, so there's a, the best way I can describe Joy Electric sound is percolating. I, yeah. He, because he does use a lot. Of, I mean, it's very busy music, and, and I mean that in a good way. But it, especially on this album, you know, the problem with this album is he just came out of, of well, I mean, he had made Melody, but... You know, he was not that far removed from Dance House Children, which was kind of like a four on the floor techno dance kind of thing. And so just about every song in this album is dun, 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 dun. But then also there are like, sometimes it's triplets, but not always, but there's that chords on every song that are like over the yeah and like pretty much using the same uh same waveform every time and then that's where his where his like texture gets muddied and it's it's a and he vastly improves this on his later albums so it's like i'm not knocking this for that I, I think it. I think it does factor into their this album's overall ranking just because his other work is more successful with just the depth of his composition. But like he's seriously like when I when I say this shit is difficult and Natalie says it's difficult, it is something I tried once and went no, and I couldn't I couldn't fucking bother. And the so I can forgive some of his texture with just the sheer amount of work that it takes. 
because other other bands that were getting more texture because he doesn't use a drum machine. No, it's all the drum programming is done through the synth- yeah, synthesizer. Yeah, so all of his percussion is on the same machine. So it very has a, everything has a very similar range, which is this is something that I'm sorry to go back to Wendy Carlos that like she was talking about with trying to get color and texture is that it's difficult to you know not all like a lot of baroque music doesn't have uh, like fundamental percussion or at all but it does have a rhythmic element which was easier to invoke in the way that she was doing stuff and so ronnie martin's had to kind of like ad hoc do that with what he's doing and so i think that there's a fundamental connection between wendy carlos and ronnie martin when it comes to this because it's a it's it's a way of exploring sound that is incredibly esoteric to people who don't know what they're doing or don't know how complicated the machines are. People will listen to Joy Electric and be like, this is just like buzzy noise. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of pops and clicks and bloop, 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 like in the background. But I mean, there are melodies to the songs. It's, it's not just like experimental noise, mm-hmm. but it has a lot of experimental noise going on in it. And I think that's good. And it's it's him... His career is kind of what Wendy Carlos did with her classical compositions. You can also trace through Ronnie Martin's music career because he just gets better and better and better and better at making these machines do what he wants them to do. And it's something that you cannot just come out of a room and go, I'm going to make a thing on an analog synth sound good. It it, it literally takes decades. (laughs) And and unfortunately, we don't get to you know the last the 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 four Joy Electric albums in the '90s were Melody, We Are the Music Makers, Robot Rock, and Christian Songs. None of which I think are anywhere near the best Joy Electric album. No, but I think I think Christian Songs actually has a slightly more progressed composition. It's it, it's the it, it's still very you know, Christian songs. It, Christian songs has terrible lyrics, like real bad lyrics. It's his worship album. It's I fun. think that Christian songs sounds like pop punk synth pop, <laughs> honestly, which, in, and he is a like admitted huge fan of pop punk. So it's not surprising. Um, the robot rock tends to be thought of as like one of his best. And having listened to that again recently, I'm not that impressed by that album. Like I almost liked this one more. Um, so it's, so I think that though, to go back to the lyrics, I'm really impressed by how much this is an artist who is a Christian as opposed to a Christian artist, which is a division he also pointed, he also made that he kind of hated the fact that bands got pigeonholed as, oh, that's a Christian band. And, and it the way these like you can tell his his form of you can see what drew him to christianity which i mean i'm sure it's like to some extent it's because he came from a christian family probably and it's just a thing that most most kids get passed down to them from their parents but like his particular attraction to it it seems to be this kind of chronicles of narnia fairy tale version of christianity where you know you kind of feel you kind of get the impression that ronnie martin imagines heaven as a D game mm-hmm. <laughs> or or you know to be again like 
probably at Chronicles of Narnia. You know, it's a land of enchanting and adventure. <laughs> and and that is a theme that runs throughout his his music. Um and he he never really stops being having that whimsy throughout his career. He he definitely has his dark moments um and it's pretty clear that he had his artistic ups and downs like he made a, a you know he has a song called five stars for failure that's about how he felt like his previous work just was garbage and then he was he was garbage and, <laughs> and everything sucked <laughs> so he's there's way more to joy electric artistically than any other christian music it, i mean i would say period it, like there are other good i mean starflyer 59 is also good and morella's forest who we'll talk about eventually is is like probably my second favorite christian alternative band behind joy electric um but there's not much that's this good that, that and it's clear that he has primarily secular influences oh yeah <laughs> and that's why i don't mind him at all it's sort of like sixpence on the richer like they had their their worship song on that album but like there was a lot of outside of christian music influence on their on their work and with ronnie martin there's almost entirely outside of christian music because he he wanted to experience and play with he wanted to make art and i deeply appreciate that it's it's why i put his christmas album on a playlist at my uh place of employment and people hate it for the first two weeks of december and then then by the end they're like okay so the album that's all bleeps and bloops who did that <laughs> and people start listening to joy electric and i i enjoy passing that on to other people because it, it, it's you will hate joy electric the first two songs you listen to and I recommend you give each at least one album, particularly this one. I think this is probably a good one to start with. This was the first one I ever yeah. heard. Listen to it twice. And if you hate it by the end of the second listen, you're probably not going to like Joy Electric. But by the but for a lot of people, they listen to it the second time and go, okay, I can see what he's doing here. And then you're... But I, I think I, I was an easy sell because I was so into Wendy Carlos before I started listening to Joy Electric. So I was already I was already here for the hardcore aesthetic of I am going to use this complicated machine to make my music. I I loved it from the first note. I mean I I had never heard anything like it and still really haven't i mean no one does this no one no one is it's i mean you can call it synth pop and it is technically pop music made on a synthesizer you know i feel freeze pop got close freeze pop is is relatively close but nobody has that like that just combinate nobody combines the nobody that i've heard i mean i'm sure somebody out there can can tell me i'm wrong but combines the way he does the just constant barrage of weird noises you can make on a synthesizer but without ever sacrificing songwriting and melody yeah and it's just such a perfect combination of it's not going to wear you down the way that that um something more experimental would it, it's not the synth equivalent of of white noise or anything. Yeah, um, it, this is this is utterly listenable if you are open to it, and if you have a hard time with you know pops and like the pops and twirls of a synthesizer, probably not for you. 
but it is very stripped down because it is one instrument and it, it's so I would not say it's stripped down. <laughs> no, no, no. When I mean that, it's like he has a lot. Of, he creates a lot of depth with what he's doing, but it is very clearly coming from the same processing unit. If that makes sense, like there's a very there's a samey tonality to a lot of these sounds, which is where other other musicians use other instruments to make you know percussion or make a bass sound, because it just it needs texture that he is he evolves but he is doing his damnedest to make the texture work here for some reason when this album would end on spotify it would immediately start playing one of his later albums the otherly opus and the difference in bass tones between this and that like is unbelievable if if you really want to see how far he got with with making his synth sound better like when the other Leopus, when the first song on that album, when the bass line kicks in, it's just like, yeah, fucking <laughs> hit me with that shit. And there is nothing on this album that, yeah. that like hits that hard. And that's my main critique. I think it just needs a, a, a dark, a, it needs bass. It needs something deeper. And it doesn't have that. Which is why the, the song that sounds so like a spook house is kind of cloying in a way because it, it, it needs it needs a a downbeat it need that is deeper than he can get which i mean that, if that's the worst thing you can say about it and it's still a, a pretty good album like that's not bad it's just that's my overall critique is that it just needs more depth and he gets it <laughs> yeah later on my my biggest critique is just that it's the songs are too samey on here mm -hmm. it's like you said he had to redo them all he he was frustrated and depressed and so focused on having to learn the programming aspect of it that he just couldn't focus on the songs and you know burgundy years obviously is is a standout like in terms of sounding different um hansel is really like these these are the songs that if you t tell me the title i can hum them um christendom on white horses because it has such a galloping feel to it but, but again it's like it makes the crusades sound like over the river and through the woods <laughs> <laughs> it does it really does and and the one other thing i think we should say is that he has a weird voice yes. and you might kind of hate his voice like i think that's the most uh, I, I hesitate to say objectionable because it's not it's not like he's a bad singer, but he's kind of not a great singer. And and he again he realized that and that's why he did the other Leopus because that was he was like I've, I've always felt insecure about my singing, so I did an album where I put the vocals way forward, and it's like he stripped down the synthesizers and did like multiple vocal tracks on every song on that album just to challenge himself because that's kind of what he does. Like every album is. Sort of like, what's a thing I'm not great at? I'm going to do that. Yeah, he has an upper nasally range, but it's not it's not bad. It, it's it is just very nasally. He he sounds like a guy who can't necessarily sing whimsically, trying to kind of sing like a little kid. Yeah, and it, I think I think just a smidgen of training probably would have helped him. Yeah, like, and he did work with a vocal coach on other Leopas. Yeah, because like that's really in this album, it's very clear he needed that. And not every every time, not everyone who takes vocal training is gonna like change their voice overnight. But it makes you more confident with what your particular instrument can do. Because 
honestly, everyone can sing. It just takes figuring out what your voice can do. Like, uh, the actor Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady, he couldn't sing. And when they were working, it was like, okay, talk. Here's a pitch, talk. So they had him basically talking on key, and he was singing. He was. It's like it's basically like he's rapping in My Fair Lady. It's just Rex Harrison being a pompous ass rap, and so everyone can do it to some degree. Some people obviously have other circumstances where they can't, but people who think they can't sing, you can find something that you can do, and that's where coaching comes out. Well, so just to wrap this one up, I, I want to uh, get the are now um now obligatory momus reference of the week <laughs> because on the well so okay so first of all i saw joy electric live around 2003 2004 ish and was wearing my momus analog baroque t-shirt and i got to i met ronnie martin afterwards and got to talk to him for a little bit and he knew who momus was and uh so from the band from the joy electric trouser press entry uh, about the Montgolfier and the Romantic Balloons EP. He says that Martin took a different tact from his usual full-length com- companion disc pattern with the Montgolfier and the Romantic Balloons EP. Uh, the new music is more Baroque than usual, not unlike the sound Momus achieved on the Little Red Songbook. Uh... So, if you wondered if Momus had ever influenced a Christian band, there you go. I mean, I, Momus has, has a, a very strange and broad influence which i love um so, yeah, yeah it's it's really hard to imagine this good christian boy listening to momus but he has i mean like i said he when I, actually the album he referenced when i saw him he was like oh momus i know him he did he did the little red song book so which is very evident in some of his music honestly i think and <laughs> I have, and when we do Little Red Songbook, I have a lot to say about Wendy Carlos on that one, too. Uh, both I mean, good can't, and bad. can't really avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about ranking this one. Um, so I really like this album. It's, it's, it's not Joy Electric's best. The songs are too samey. That's a big strike against it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's competent, but samey. I am slightly torn. So I think that it is either... 26 or 27 i I think it's probably not as good as fox space alpha because that album has better songwriting when it's not just samples uh i think it's good at 27 i like it's in the same like the that dandy warhol's album is not their best but it is not bad and i think it, it it kicks around in that vein of like this is pretty good and like that's kind of the biggest praise you can get it give it if you're not going to like sit here and analyze martin's work you know yeah i mean i think it's similar to fox space alpha in that it's a, a group trying something new mm-hmm. and are new to them and not totally succeeding but but still making something that's perfectly listenable yeah and, um, and the, and i definitely end- like it more than dandy's rule okay because that album's way too long and it just is. doesn't overstay its welcome yeah you know i listen to this I listened to this and the next album that we're doing twice on my my journey into the 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 heart of the Ozark Mountains. <laughs> That's a weird weird place to listen to that music. But. Uh, well, you know what? I was in, I was in your car and I needed to listen to music. 
All right, so we're going to put this at number 27, which puts it between Fox Base Alpha and uh, Dandy's Rule OK. So let me get this uh, added to the list and we'll be back to talk about the auteurs. Our second album tonight um, is from 1992, right? 93. 93. Okay. I have 93 in my notes, but I swear it was, I read 92 somewhere. Um, it is New Wave by the Auteurs, and this one is, once again, we're going glam, so it's it's all on Hadrian. <laughs> all right. So the Auteurs is one of several projects that singer and lead songwriter Luke Haynes has been involved in, and... I'm just going to start this part of the show by saying Luke Haynes is kind of a wanker. And if he finds this, you know. I don't, I'm don't. i not making any apologies, you know. Uh, so why he's a wanker? Uh, <laughs> his aesthetic is very art-forward and largely classist in his own perspective this album is very much uh i like i like to to describe it as a middle class dandy over aspiring and because a lot of the, the songs in this album are about just like junk shop clothes are never gonna get you ahead uh i don't work but my showgirl what my showgirl bride does just just it's kind of just wasteful fuckery and i'm into it as a wastrel fucker myself, but, uh, it, it's, he is very full of his persona. Uh, so the, the, the song Show, uh, uh, Showgirl is the first single from this album. It's also the first song on this album. And it was released in 1993 as a single. And Luke Haynes credits himself with inventing Britpop. In 1993, huh? Uh-huh. He has later disavowed this, that Britpop copied him. Uh, but he... <laughs> but I'm just like, bro, come on. And this this album isn't particularly Britpop. He, he is also, like, completely, like, trashed Britpop as being a bunch of musicians who couldn't make it on their own, so they fell into a malaise of music. And I'm like, bro... <laughs> Calm the fuck down, because uh, let's talk about your malaise of music here. So well, I want to interject something because I do have a note about that on that subject. So there was around this time a, a pretty heavy reaction in British music against grunge that was kind of led by Suede, mm-hmm. um, and particularly and- um, Bernard Butler from Suede like hated grunge, and he was just like, it, like I literally read an interview with him where he was like. I heard Nirvana and was just like, this has to stop. Yeah, and Suede is very neo-glam too. Right, and and was about the same time as the auteurs. And so there was definitely, like, neo-glam was in the water. Um, I think Suede did a much better job of representing it, even though I'm not much of a Suede fan. I fucking love Suede. <laughs> I'm sure that maybe I'll learn to like them in having to listen to them more closely for the show eventually, but... Um, like I did feel like that 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 was that that sort of 
embracing of artifice and and fashion that came from like suede and pulp and then the not nearly as good bands that followed them and and obviously the auteurs are, were contemporary with with suede um and, and the that pulp was, predates both of them so right but pulp didn't i mean pulp was doing super weird unlistenable indie shit still <laughs> i love it like separations is like where pulp starts to get turn into something you can listen to <laughs> yeah and even even pulp i would classify as some degree of neo-glam even though they are more entrenched in Britpop. but like if we listen to the rest of what is classified as Britpop, they are not that but they are very deeply in- inspired by uh pop rock bands of the early 70s and because... their attitude and their fashion is, oh. is glam oh fuck yeah and even it, though there's a socialist bent to their lyrics that uh, there's they're... a socialist bent to a lot of glam that isn't roxy music because roxy because brian ferry was kind of a you know conservative twit and that man's in his 80s now he can't hurt me um <laughs> But yeah, so this album, uh, the auteurs definitely follow through the kind of a twit aspect that came from from Roxy Music because I feel their lyrical construction is very Roxy. It doesn't have the driving four four that made Roxy Roxy, um, or you know horns or any of that. Which I and I find that Luke Haynes sings in a vaguely similar way to Steve Harley from the Cockney Rebel, though he doesn't have quite as an affected voice. Uh, but there's a a way that he carries notes and slides between sounds that is very Cockney Rebel, and that and, and Cockney Rebel definitely. Uh, so this is where the like strange personality conflict on the Cockney. So you have all these songs that are very like a dandy fucker, just being a dandy fucker, and then you have like American guitars, which is pretentious but is clearly kind of reverential to the sound of American guitars. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if you know this, but it was actually illegal to import American instruments into England in the in the 60s. So when like Gibsons and Fenders like people would somehow get one into the country and like people like Eric Clapton were just like losing their shit because they couldn't play them. So they were listening to these blues records of people playing Les Pauls and Fenders and, and SGs and and they couldn't access them. They couldn't get that sound. And so that was why like Marshall became a thing because Marshall was a British amplifier company trying to make an American sounding amp because Vox was the, like the Beatles used Vox amps exclusively, at least on stage because they had a promotional deal with them. And so Vox was kind of like the sound of British rock. And yeah. then and then Marshall was kind of like trying to make more of a sound of American rock for all the British kids who were getting American blues records and wanted to sound like that. Yeah, and that's definitely like, I feel like a very 70s crossover in the way that it sounds is like, this album breaks itself up between sort of glammy pop efforts and then verging on almost being rock in other ways. And it's very it's very jarring when that that change hits because it's like these songs are very like like I'll, I'll pull this up because I need to know exactly where it happened. Let's see. Uh, oh yeah, like how like how could I be wrong than to Housebreaker and then Valet Parking to Idiot Brother? Like those songs are kind of like rough changes in the way that the, the, the album functions because Idiot Brother is very much. 
more like uh, junk shop clothes and showgirl than the songs that surround it. And it, it's it's the the album gets kind of muddy toward the end. It, it loses its like pure haughty aesthetic and starts getting into songs that might not necessarily sell. And it's this album is very complex and perplexing for me because it's. I, I don't like Luke Haynes very much, but I like this album. And I, I fucking love Showgirl. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite song on the album is... Um, sorry, I got out of my notes app. Um, uh, Bailed Out. I really love Bailed Out. It's a great song. It's And I like it because it sounds not so much like their glam influences. I, th- I think there's like an almost like haircut 100, like sophista <laughs> pop feel to that song. Yeah. Um, and that is the other side of this, which is like not surprising, but I mean, there's some serious Morrissey influence on oh, this too. Yes. The, 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 um, the wankeriness is very Morrissey. Yeah. Lyrically. And I, I singled out jump shop clothes as being a very Morrissey song. Like, Lenny Bruce never walked a mile in another man's shoes. Like, come the fuck on. That's That song feels like Morrissey wrote on a napkin, went, this is shit, and threw it away. And then Luke Hayes was like, <gasps> and, like, ran away with the lyrics. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I actually did put in my notes that, like, at, at its best, they sound like Morrissey B-sides. <laughs> um, yeah. So, or, or kind of, like, Haircut 100. Which, I mean, um, there's a snarkiness that I feel, like... Morrissey got his influences definitely from Sparks and from Roxy Music, and then, like he's a, he's a better lyricist than uh, Brian Ferry, but he he carries through this kind of like cultural snark that Brian Ferry had and Spark had Sparks had to a degree, but not Sparks is way more gentle with their ribbing unless they really don't like you, uh, and. Roxy was my way more direct about some of their, you know, despising aspects of culture and the youth. And Morrissey, I think, combined that into his aesthetic and then mixed it with Elvis. And and I also, so there's a couple of British, like other 80s British indie bands that I, I don't think are very well known now. Maybe they are in England, definitely not known in America, but I only found out about them because they, I saw flyers for old Smith shows from the 80s and they were like bands that opened for the Smiths, um, Pale Fountains and Red Guitars. Mm-hmm. And there's some songs, um, Don't Trust the Stars sounds a lot like Pale Fountains. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, it, and I, I mean, I say I think like it's some big discovery, but like they were they were definitely tuned in to that 80s British indie rock scene that the Smiths came out of. Yeah. And it, this album isn't terrible. I don't think for it, it, it is a complicated listen if you are not prepared for this level of contempt for effort um i don't know how else to put it it's just it's it's very it's very dandy in that aspect of just like i exist and and exultation should flow but the concept of work and being seen as a lower class even though i am very clearly lower class uh like it's it's very much a mind fuck on that perspective and this is someone i no longer really talked to once listened to this album and was like so i think this is you I'm like, oh, have I been that much of a dick? 
apparently showgirls just struck struck this guy as being me. I used to be in this like dandy group where we'd just shit on everybody and shit on one another. And this became like, I was this person. And I was like, what? Why? I'm I'm much nicer than this. I I'm I I'm a socialist. I I don't Oh. <laughs> Luke Haynes is not a socialist as far as I can tell from the way that he is very much I would be aristocracy in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I would be I would be aristocracy if I weren't on the dole. Yeah. Oh, it makes me think of uh, a band we can't do anything with. It's called Fosca uh by uh Dick uh, he, the lead singer is Dickon Edwards and he is Famously known as the dandy on the dole. He was a friend of Sebastian Haley and still has one of Haley's suits that has a, uh, a uh, in the breast pocket, there are little uh, syringe holders because Haley was famously a heroin user. It's, it's very dandy. Uh, yeah, no, dandy's fucking rock. <laughs> to the grave. Yeah, it's like, um, what is the movie where Johnny Depp is like a 17th century aristocrat and by the end he's like so syphilis ridden that he's that he's like Casanova? is that a he's like walking around in like a gold suit or i mean like a 17th century gold suit well, and, or 18th century sorry 1700s and but he's like on a cane and like his nose has fallen off so he has a metal nose and he like basically looks like a cyborg dandy by the end of the movie yeah i, th- I think it's Casanova. i'm gonna look it up because I'm thinking of... That doesn't strike me as the title, but... I... The Libertine. Libertine, okay. I don't remember now how we got on that subject, but... This album, this album kind of brings it out. It's, it's, very, in, it's very in the album. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't hate this album. I, I'm actually quite fond of it, despite people using it to drag me forever for some reason. It's not bad. Um, I... I it's My biggest better. complaint about it is actually Lutain's voice. I don't think he has a voice that can carry a full album. He he seems too similarly on on every track for me. He has a voice very much like that guy from the Blow Monkeys. I don't think I've heard them. Oh, well, you won't like them, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked the most of the songs on this album. I just wish Morrissey were singing them, or the guy from James, or like. Mm. Anyone other than this guy? Oh, fuck. We need to do a James album. Why am I doing the stupid album I'm doing this week? I should do a James <laughs> album. So do you have anything more to say? I don't really have much to say no, about I, this I mean, one. I'm sorry. I've... It's it's too out of my wheelhouse. Like, no, no. I, I, it's... it's a good album. Um, I I love the songs that sound less glam, like, less straight up glam rock. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like it's it, the vocals were a real hurdle for me to get over. Yeah, it's kind of important because other bands clearly took some lead from this, and so I will give him, I will give Lucane's credit for this, that he is influential in a way, but I wouldn't give him the you know serious honor of inventing or creating Britpop because there were bands that were that were very known in Britpop doing shit before this band started, and it just. Music is posturing a lot of ways, and a lot of times, especially the British music scene in the 90s was very much like being seen to be seen, and he was trying to work with that, but it became a very... He has the kind of reputation that David Sylvian has, but I feel doesn't deserve as much as Luke Haynes deserves. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I like this album. Um, I don't know where to rank it. 
So that's why I'm stalling. I don't know where to start. <laughs> well, I like it more than Marcy Playground, but that might be a fight for... Oh, no, I think it's a better album than that one. Okay, I, I, I think it's better than The Devil's Breast, too. You know, I'll, I'll give you that, too. I think, I think it's... I don't it... like it more, but I mean, Devil's Breast is more, like, musically my thing, but I, the, the lyrics are so much better on this that, that it beats that one out for me. This album grows on you the more you listen to it, because, like, the first time through, you'll be like, I don't know, and then later on, you're like, yeah, and then don't listen to anything else from this <laughs> band, because their later albums get terrible. And gross. The lyrically, Gross. It's we're gonna do them eventually. Gross. <laughs> so so that brings us to Exile. Do you think it's better than Exile? No. Okay, I don't really. I mean, it, it technically probably is. But His I... songwriting is better, but I I would rather I'll, I would listen to Exile seven days a week over this. So. Yeah, that's fine. I'm I'm good with it between Exile and Voltaire. We can have a an interruption in the goth block there. Yep. With. An album called New Wave with a picture of Byron on the fucking cover. <laughs> well, I didn't say it's it's a, a, a you know an Iron Curtain. It's just an interruption. Okay, so we're going to put that puts it at number thirty, and uh, like we said, between Gary Newman's Exile and Voltaire's uh, The Devil's Breast. Finally, that weight is off my shoulders. I've been thinking about that album since we started this doing this fucking show, and now it's free and out of my head. It's that's that's how I was with the pod. I, I never have to listen to the pod again. <laughs> well, the thing is, like, I just didn't. I didn't know how to rank it. We needed. To, I needed more meat to rank it between because early on it would have gone too high, and so because early on it would have been top ten for sure, and I wouldn't have wanted that. I didn't want to give it that time. All right. Well, no changes to the top ten, but just in case you're a new listener. We have at number 10, 10 by Pearl Jam. <laughs> at number 9, Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo. At number 8, Kill Uncle by Morrissey. At number 7, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. At number 6, Spooky by Lush. At number 5, Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number 4, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number 3, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number 2, Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And at number 1, still, Nonsuch by XTC. That's going to be a hard one to dethrone. It is going to. That one's still so fucking good. I think about it all the time. I'm so glad you liked it, because it's really good. (laughs) All right, so so if you want to see our full rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s that's bit.ly slash nr1990s and you can also search on spotify to find our official show playlist which contains every album that we have ever ranked as well as the two that we will be ranking next week so hadrian what do you have for us next week uh 50,000 bc by shudder to think are you, are you ready for what i'm gonna do next week no you're not ready is next week Throwing Copper by Live. God. <laughs> God. Speaking of albums, we had to do at some point. <laughs> okay. Do you hate me? Is that what this is? <laughs> I, I have I have I have things to say about Live, and most of them aren't good, but it I think it will be a fun album that neither of us are going to like very much (laughs) indeed all right well that brings this episode to a close i want to go play more control so why don't we get out of here yep i gotta go do work for my other things cool 